congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as you are well aware from the ways in which God operates according to Scripture, uh, God can use various means and providence uh, to turn people back to Himself. He would speak as, as we hear in the Gospel of Luke, of course, that uh, when certain disasters would strike, whether it was by, as it were, the acts of men or the acts of God, that he would remind people of their mortality. And he would say to them, don't think that you're any better than these people were because they perished and you did not. It's a time for you to take stock and to recognize there's still time for some uh, to turn their lives around and come to the Lord while yet you live. It's the day of salvation for you. And uh, other times, it's not disasters that happen that God uses. Sometimes He just He just shows us the foolishness of following our our stubborn wrong path. And we find ourselves reaping what we sow. And God in His ways can use that to wake us up. And sometimes we hear people say, well, you know, that, that so-and-so knows better, and yet inexplicably they, they go in a different and a wrong direction. And you pray that such people are going to come to their senses, that they'll repent of their sins, and they'll turn to God in Christ. Well, in our passage this evening, Abraham shows himself to be one that does that. He backtracks. He goes where he was at the first, from the beginning. In Genesis 12, he had gone to Egypt, but now we read of an Abram that is much more in line in the way things should have been with him all along. And so this evening we're going to be considering, I know this is entitled in the chapter, you know, this is the time where Abram and Lot are separating, but what you're seeing also here is, uh, and we want to reflect on this, is Abram's backtracking. And we're looking at how he returns to the land of promise and how he remains there and how he's renewed there. Those three things. So first of all, that he returned there. It's pretty clear in the first few verses, right, that uh, you hear that terminology, you know, that he had uh, gone back to uh, Bethel, the place where his tent had been at the beginning, place where he had made an altar at the first. Well, and even in, in verse 13, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, Abram went up from Egypt, which is where he had been. But if you, if you take a little closer look at these two chapters, between Genesis 13 and Genesis 12, what you see is Abraham backtracking. 
In, April, in chapter 13, he's going in a reverse direction from where he had been in chapter 12. In chapter 12, he goes from trees to Bethel to Negev to Egypt. And now when you read in chapter 13, you read him going in the exact opposite way. So he ends up by trees again. He goes from Egypt to Negev and ends up by the trees after having been in Bethel. But that's a good sign for Abram. Because what he does in essence is he's returning to the promise of God. It's a repentance of sorts. At first he left the land of promise and he went to the land of slavery without being told to do that. But now he leaves the land of bondage and he returns to the land of blessing. At one time, he saw his hope in Egypt where God did not direct him to go. There's no, there's no evidence of that at all. But now he returns to his first love and the promises of God. This is where the hope was to be found. And in the meantime, we also see that he once again calls on the name of the Lord. This is what we read, don't we? There was no worshiping in Egypt. There's no reading of that there. All you hear about in Egypt was conniving and trying to force things to happen by his own wits and wisdom and his wife. But there was no reliance upon the Lord. But as we saw there, despite Abram's weakness and faithfulness, God's faithfulness for the sake of Christ prevailed. And, and he preserved Abram. And it even grants blessing, which we hear about in this passage. And it's strictly by grace alone. Abram shouldn't have known better. Because he had the word of God to direct him in the decisions that he made, but he followed his heart instead of the word. And that can happen to us. If we follow our hearts instead of the word. It's easy to do. What I feel like doing seems to be right to me. We're going to make things happen the way that we think they should happen. And there's that temptation, and we see that oftentimes in Scripture, of getting ahead of God. We try to force things, and we try to force issues instead of doing the right thing. And instead of asking ourselves, is this what God wants us to be doing? We don't want to ask that question. It's a temptation. And even if the, the answer, uh, even if the, the question comes to us anyway, and the answer comes to us anyway, we try to ignore it. Because we're going to do it our way. Because we figured that way, I'll survive. That way, what matters is that it works, after all. And that, but that's not the right attitude. 
Blessed is the man who comes to his senses that way and turns back to the promises of God in Christ. There are ways that you can tell that a person comes to his senses. And for Abram, it was his retreat to the Lord's promises and what God had promised. He went back to what God revealed. And he found his peace there. He showed in going back to the land of promise that his trip to the land of bondage was a mistake for him. And it wasn't worth the trip. It wasn't Christ-like. It wasn't the Christ-promoting thing to do. It didn't help the cause of Christ, humanly speaking. It only worked against the promises and promotion of Christ. And so it was time to turn heel. To turn heel in the ways of man and to be content in the promises and the Word of God and to, to, to rest in the sufficiency of God's Word. And that's what you see with Abram. That and that, he's back to worshiping the Lord. That's always a great thought. <laughs> a penitent. He worships for the promise, for his preservation, for the grace shown to him, the patience that was shown to him. And that's also what, when you know you've run into a penitent man or woman. Because part of what he wants to do is worship the Lord for his grace mercy and peace and worship Him for His power and His grace and long-suffering towards us. And that for the sake of Christ that He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. So Abram returns to the land of promise. But he also remains there. And he distinguishes himself there in opposition to Lot. And we read that Abram and Lot have to separate because they simply can't share the land and they can't get along. At least uh, there's conflict that arises. They both become too big and too numerous. And, and uh, you know what can happen when you get so many on top of each other and it's not surprising to see conflict occur. We learn a, a few different things from this portion of our passage where that's occurring. And one thing we learn is about Abram's generous spirit. Abram performs a remarkable act in contrast to what he did with Sarai in Genesis 12. Instead of trying to manipulate the situation for his own welfare in a way that displeased the Lord, now we hear of him giving Lot the choice of the land. And that was remarkable, given that Abram had been promised the land of Canaan. But then, that's why Abram could be so generous, you see, because when you come to appreciate the promises of the Lord in your life, then the ability to be generous becomes easier. 
Now, of course, not everyone can give in the same amount as, as everybody else can, but we don't all have, because we don't all have the same amount to give, but, but we can all be remarkable and, and cheerful givers, can't we? When, when we keep the promises of the Lord in mind for ourselves, what He's promised, what He's given. Because as much as Abram was promised the land, th there's an even greater inheritance that was kept in store for him. And for everybody who's in Christ. Not just Canaan, but the entire earth. We have the eternal inheritance of Christ that's ours, kept in heaven for us. Never uh, perishing, spoiling, or fading. And the apostle would say, all is ours. And we're of Christ, and Christ is of God. And the more that we appreciate that promise in our minds, the more generous that we'll be. Not, not that we'll give the most, but, but we'll, we'll give in happy and, and, and remarkable ways to the cause of Christ. What else is remarkable about this passage has to do with Lot's choice. We hear that he looked at this land around Sodom and, and what he did as he looked at it is that uh, if you looked at it closely enough, uh, as Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw everything, that it's very similar to what how Eve looked at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And how the sons of God, in Genesis 3, and how the sons of God looked at the daughters of men in Genesis 6. He looked in a very similar way at what he's looking at. And that wasn't healthy. And on top of that, he looked at the land to the east like it was the land of Egypt. Like it was the garden of the Lord. Paradise. People who would have read this in the times of Moses, that he looked at it like the land of Egypt, that would not have been a good, good perspective at all. It looked good, but what it is is a retreat to the ways of the world. It's to take more stock in the land of bondage than in the land of promise, the things that man can provide than the things that God can provide. And on top of that, the perspective portrays a mentality that said, you know, I'll gain for myself the inheritance and the pleasures of life my way and not God's way. And that was the problem with Eve in Genesis 3, and that was the problem with the people intermarrying with unbelief in Genesis 6, and Lot is following that spirit. But it's like Lot's trying to, to gain the inheritance without Christ in mind. It was as if he was attracted more to the city of destruction as he puts his tent in Sodom than he was to the city of everlasting foundation. You see, when we try to leave Christ out of the picture, We make our pursuits without them, they come up empty. And that's what's going to happen with Lot here. 
They end up being vain pursuits. We, we, we aggrandize these pursuits and these goals and these dreams and we leave Christ out of it all. That's doomed for destruction. We will not have everlasting life without Christ. We're trying to pursue that otherwise is empty. We will, if we are honest with ourselves, find any pursuits without keeping Christ and His Word in mind, a vain pursuit at the end. You know, think about how the devil tried to, to show Christ all the kingdom and to say to him, you can get them without the cross. Just follow my way instead of the wisdom of the Lord. Look how grand they are. Look how wondrous they are. And you can get them by bypassing the cross. Now, if, if the Lord Jesus would have taken that temptation up, that would not only have dishonored his father, but it would have also left people like you and me without a savior to trust. Jesus would not gain that way, nor would we. We also learn that if there was any notion that the promise to Abram would be fulfilled through Lot, that separation shows us that that won't be the case. But Abram's still the better for it. Lot is not the one from which a great nation would come. But somehow, God was still going to bring it about. But it wasn't going to be through Lot. The very fact that Abram remains in Canaan while Lot sets forth for the land of Sodom underscores the truth that God will be true to his promise to Abram, who's the childless one. Abram separate from his nephew, but Abram the one whose covenant God could do exceedingly more than all that he could ask or imagine. This was the God who would send the child promise one day in his timing though it be not the time of, Ab of Abram's time. You know, sometimes, to be sure, remaining where the Lord would have us be is just as advantageous as it was for Abram of old. And it may not always look that way for us, just as it didn't look that way for Jesus so often, so that people would say, he trusts in God, let him deliver him if he delights in him, but Jesus stays where he is. Because Jesus knew that he was exactly where he needed to be. And that where he was, was the place, wherever it was that he was, and certainly the cross was where he needed to be, he knew that he could count on the promises of his father. God never did fail him. And he'll never fail any of us when we remain under the promises that he makes to us in Christ, no matter where it is that he places us. Peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus that way.
And that's why God operates as He does. By renewing us by the ways that He does. And He does that for Abram. Look what He does for Abram. He reminds him of the promise that He made with a bit of an elaboration. He says, lift up your eyes and look all in these different directions. Look at what you're going to get. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. God elaborates. He's renewing. And why does He do that? Why does He do that for Abram? Well, Abram has been further separated from his family. And that was sacrificial. Abram had sacrificed himself in his generosity. And so the Lord wants to encourage him with his word. With his covenant word. With his covenant of grace. Just because his nephew will not be the, the way the great nation will come about, he will still be a great nation. God wants to encourage him that way. Despite the situation, yeah, he had wealth, but he didn't have an heir. And now he's known further separation, which he already experienced in Genesis 12. But despite that situation, God says, let me renew you. Let me refresh you. Let me remind you my promise to you on which you can always depend. Now, as good a promise as this was to Abraham or to Abram, the promises to the one forsaken by men and acquainted with suffering was better yet. The one that would come from Abraham gains all authority in heaven and on earth. He gains all the nations. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Lord, better yet for the one uh, who, who would gain the inheritance of the nation. Better yet for the one who would, who would gain the world as the suffering servant of the Lord. And better yet for us. Be reminded, renewed, refreshed, revived in the knowledge that in Christ, you know, that's our greater, greater inheritance as well. It's better for you that you can say in Christ Jesus and all that you face, I too inherit the earth. And I'm part of that innumerable hope. And I'm part of how that promise to Abraham gets fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now we, we, we need those encouragements to believe in Christ for salvation and to stay there. We need those encouragements when life gets hard, even heartbreaking. You know, we need, we need the gospel at that moment when we're, when our, our, our 
hearts are crushed and spirits are crushed. But we need a steady diet of that throughout our lives. To hunger and thirst after it. We need those encouragements so that we can be reminded that there's more to life than the suffering. And there's more to life than the heartache. And there's more to life than the things of the world. And there's more to come that's better. And to be constantly reminded of the one who, who mends broken hearts and delivers those who are crushed in spirit. We need those encouragements when we struggle with, with money or with the unknown or, or the pains of life or the witness to which we've been called to give. We need those encouragements to be reminded that we haven't been forsaken. And that the Lord is our helper. And that we don't have to be afraid. We need those encouragements to stay faithful. We need to have those encouragements to remain at peace with God. And to know that the God of peace is with us. God does that. He's doing that right now through the preaching of the Word. God does that whenever you crack open your Bible and you read it and understand it and don't leave it in a dusty place and ignore it. God does that as you pray for that refreshment. God does that every time that we see a baptism, every time we partake of the Lord's Supper. What He's doing is encouraging us for the sake of His promise. He's encouraging us in the situation we find ourselves in right now. He encourages us so that we will continue to trust in His promises and do what we were born to do. And that is to give glory to His name. My friends, this passage reminds us And it calls people to retreat into the promises of God in repentance and then worship Him. To be content to remain in those promises and to take comfort. God continues to renew us with His lavish promises to us in Christ, the great heir, the King of kings, the owner of all, the leader of that holy nation, numerous in number to count, to be encouraged. When He calls you and, and me and Christ to that kingdom, He'll see us to the end. You can count on Him as He gives you His word. Amen.